following sermon is from Faith Bible Church, located in Murrieta, California. More information about Faith Bible Church is available at www.faith-bible.net. The word freedom conjures up all kinds of opinions today. When you talk about political freedom, freedom of religion, freedom of the press, freedom of expression, and if you're a little bit older, freedom of movement, yeah. But in a world that strives to remove God from our consciousness, moral freedom is everybody's goal today. But those who submit to Christ and follow His Word, spiritual freedom is kind of a dividing line. There are those who are free and those who are still enslaved. Which brings up the big dividing line, which is there's two kinds of way to look at spiritual freedom. One is the wrong way, and that would be salvation by human achievement. This is where you see your own sin and you realize that I got to do something. I got to pray, I got to do sacraments, I got to walk through some religious hoops, I got to do so many prayers, and somehow I'm going to make God happy with me instead of angry at me. And so this kind of religion has a lot of penance and pleading and petitioning and self-punishment. The other form of seeking freedom from the weight of our sin, and that is salvation by divine accomplishment. That's those who turn to Jesus Christ uniquely to awaken our hearts, and if He does all of our sin, past, present, and future sin, every possible one of them has now been taken care of and totally forgiven since Christ took the punishment and all of God's wrath on the cross for our sin, and now our standing before God is resolved forever. We are forever forgiven, and He transforms us with a new heart that actually desires to please Him and actually follow His Word. It's a different kind of freedom. Interesting enough, which one sounds most appealing to you? Which one makes you the most free? Are you genuinely, this morning, free and understanding what that means? Obviously, turning to Christ brings freedom. An incredible freedom that we're going to explore a little bit this morning. But I bring this up so that you might understand what's happening with the Galatians. Would you open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 3 at the very end of this particular book. Amazingly, the Galatians who were once enslaved to sin have now turned to Christ to be forgiven and freed from their sin and the burden of all that and the incredible position that they gain in Christ and being free in Christ and now they want to go back to earning their salvation. They want to go back to following the law so that Somehow they seem to be more pleasing to God. And they're confused. And so at the end of chapter 3, Paul's saying, look, the law was meant to bring you to Christ, but not as a way to be saved in Christ. The law was meant to drive you to an awareness of your own sin so you would cry out for mercy and grace and receive that from the Lord Jesus Christ and truly be free. But they are thinking, wait a minute, to be super spiritual, I've got to be somebody who's now, even though I'm in Christ, keeping the law, following the festivals, and keeping all the traditions, and somehow that's going to make me free. Well, Paul's going to clarify all of that this morning, and what he's going to do, stay with me, he's going to remind you of what you were before you were a Christian. 
He's going to talk about what Christ did to save you. And now he's going to highlight just four of the many ways that you're free in Christ. Because he's saying with each point, he wants to say, why would you go back? Why would you try to go back and earn your way? Why would you try to go back and keep all those rules and regiments and somehow please God when Christ took care of that for you and made you free? So let's read it out loud together, shall we? Verses 23 through verses 29 of Galatians chapter 3. Let's read it out loud from our outline together. Here we go. But before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith which was later to be revealed. Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ, so that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor freeman, neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus, and if you belong to Christ then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. Last week, Paul reminded the Galatian churches that the law was given to expose our sin. And the law can't give you salvation, but to reveal your need of salvation. Now listen, the law, when you get hit with it, it creates a down, dark time, does it not? When you get hit with it, you're going, I failed at that, I failed at that, I failed at that. He's trying to bring you to the bottom of yourself so that your self-sufficiency is crucified and killed, and therefore you're going, I have no other hope but that to cry out for mercy and grace that God would lavish upon me. That's what the law does. It creates a dark moment that creates the best moment of your life. And that's what he's talking about here. Interesting, salvation by grace through faith brings freedom from the slavery of religion, the slavery of sin. And these verses are amazing. It's not only that... Christ alone saves you and makes you free. These verses teach you that you're now free from all condemnation, so much so that you're clothed with Christ, you're made into family, you belong to God's family, you're immersed in Christ, you're clothed with Christ, you're one with one another, you're now a part of this massively incredible family that has every race, every, every other nationality, all born together now in one family, and equal before God, and given an eternal inheritance which cannot be taken away from you. He's going to motivate you by telling you what He's given you, so you'd go, why would I ever want to go away from that? So understand, Paul begins by reminding you where you were before you met Christ. So point number one in your outline, stay with me, and that is remember when you weren't free under the law. And Paul starts this with two illustrations in verses 23 and 24. The first illustration is the prison system. The prison system. Take a look at it. Verse 23. But before faith came, you were kept where? Oh, say it again. And where? Use in jail. In custody, under the law, being shut up to the faith, which was later to be revealed. What he's saying, before you met Christ, you were in jail. The analogy is the law is a warden who keeps you locked up in sin's penitentiary, waiting for judgment. 
Romans 6.23 kind of highlights that. The wages of sin is what? Death. You're on death row because of the law and because of your violation of the law. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, maybe you're new with this. You're going, what's the law? What's the law? What's the Old Testament commandments? It's thou shall not covet and then you covet. You know, thou shall not lust, but you lust. Thou shall not lie, but you lie. And so it's showing you where you violate the truth of God's character. And the law and all its penalties chains us and punishes us. Remember last week, verses uh, 19 to 22, the law exposed our sin, that we're in bondage to sin. We can't get free on our own. Uh, We can't stop the pain. We can't remove the consequences. Uh, We can't, you know, somehow be delivered from sin's eternal judgment through our own effort. We're kept in jail. Now verse 23 picks up on that. He says, now you're in custody. Now, if you're not in Christ, you're not free from sin and its punishments. Again, why is he saying this? Because the Galatians are tempted to go back to the law and keeping the law in order to be saved. So he's saying, don't do that. You were in custody. You weren't free. Now, I want you to look at this verse 23 two different ways, all right? Stay with me if you're a note taker. I want you to look at it personally, and then I want you to look at it nationally. And by the way, this passage will continue to do that. It'll look at it personally and look at it with the nation of Israel in view. So you want to get both of those. Interesting enough, personally, you and I are in a helpless, hopeless condition before we met Christ. Do you remember how much in bondage you were to sin before you came to Christ? Christians, we often forget that, do we not? We forget where we were. Some of you, you know, had a, a nice, safe kind of Christian home environment, and so, you, you know, you're, you were aware of your sinfulness and lying. Some of you came out of the world, and you were just as corrupt and as diseased as possible, and you remember that vividly how the Lord rescued out of that lifestyle. Anybody with me on that? You remember that? Well, Paul's trying to say, look, remember that, what you were before faith came. See verse 23, before faith came, before Christ came. Remember that. Reminding you, never forget who you were without Christ. The New Testament continues to remind us who we were. He says, make sure you remember who you were. Because when you remember how enslaved you were, you're not going to want to go back to that. That's what he's telling the Galatians. So he says in Titus chapter 3, verse 3, what's he say? It's there in your outline. For we also once were, in the past, foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But when the kindness of God, our Savior, and His love for mankind appeared, what did He do? He saved us. Was it because we worked for it? We earned it? No, not on the basis of the deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, His grace, by washing of regeneration, renewing of the Holy Spirit. He saved us. We didn't earn it. He did it. Amen? That's right. Paul reminds you, it is crucial that you remember what you were or you'll forget how free you are in Christ. Religion can fix the outside, but only Christ can fix the inside. Religion can make you look good, but only Christ can actually make you good. That's right. Remember what he did. Recall it. Say it out loud. Say thanks to him. It's crucial you remember you were condemned, now forgiven. You were a slave, now you're free. Now, being in prison isn't always a bad thing. Paul was in prison, and it saved his life, didn't it? Several times from plots to kill him, 
and that may be a part of the focus here as well. So I want you to look at this. First, you looked at it personally. Now I want you to look at it nationally. Are you ready? Think about the nation of Israel. The law kept the nation of Israel, the Jews, under its protective custody for hundreds of years. The law was watching over them, keeping them safe, while helping helping them to remain orderly and moral until the law could lead them in time to Jesus. Are you with me? This is what the law was supposed to do. The law, like a guardian, refuses to let you go until it safely hands you into the Savior's loving care. And that's what Paul means. Look at verse 23. But before faith came, meaning before Jesus came and provided salvation, only saving faith unlocks the door of the prison where the law kept you in chains enslaved. Only faith. So then he says, verse 23, being shut up to the faith which was later to be revealed. And Paul's basically looking at the coming of Christ here, historically, and saying for each believer's salvation individually, faith in Christ alone releases people from the bondage of the law and the punishment for our violation of the law. Whether it's the written law of Moses or whether it's the law that's written in our hearts that we know intrinsically, it's the law of God. Your imprisonment from the law, from sin, is super important that you remember that, recall that, because freedom only comes by being in faith in Christ. And if you're a Galatian, Paul's basically saying, look, you go back, you're going back to slavery. You're going back to, to this life that you, you couldn't wait to get out of. So that leads us to number two in your outline. Let the law lead you to freedom in Christ by faith. These points are basically reflective of what the truth is in the text. So let the law lead you to freedom in Christ by faith. The second illustration comes from the nursery. The nursery, now not your nursery, but the nursery that was in vogue way back when in the first century. Look what verse 24 says. It says, therefore the law has become our what? Tutor to lead us to Christ so that we might be what? Justified, saved by faith. Now a tutor in a Greek home was typically a slave, and he was appointed to serve as a child's protector until adulthood. In fact, in Greek families, this slave would be the constant caregiver and supervisor of a child from the age of six until late adolescence, 16, 17, 18, right in there. The tutor was usually an old and trusted slave that the family really uh, saw with great character, and, and it's one whose character was very certain. He oversaw the child's, the one single child's moral welfare, and it was his duty to see that he acquired all the qualities necessary for really solid manhood. That's what the tutor was supposed to do. You say, where are the parents in here? This is what the tutor was involved in. Part babysitter, part chaperone, part disciplinarian, and part probation officer. Ancient drawings actually depict the tutors as holding a cane or a rod that they would use to beat the child. They would hit the child anytime the child didn't measure up to giving it their best effort or anytime they stepped out of line. Whack! The tutor. So can you imagine, did the, did the children generally like their tutors? No! Okay? In fact, a lot of pictures show them as desiring to be freed, yearning for the day when they would be free from their tutor's custody, just like high school seniors. There they go! Okay. The tutor was not the teacher. The tutor was the one who brought them to school to be taught by the teacher, 
and then to bring them back home safely and also to oversee all of their moral upbringing. That's what the tutor did. To and from school, he'd carry all their books, their scrolls, their tablets, their, uh, their, their styluses, their musical instruments, along with tacks for the other students' chairs and straws for spitwads, okay? That was my tutor, all right? So anyway, once at school, there was a special room that all the tutors went to. So they'd drop them off, they'd get in front of the teacher, they'd go to a special room. When they were done with the teacher, then they would come get them out of the special room and then bring them home. Now, the tutor watched over the child's behavior at school and at home and measured their progress. Now, stay with me. Now, the plan of salvation was that the Old Testament law, those that we're looking at here, is the tutor. The Old Testament law is the tutor that raised the Jewish nation from childhood through adolescence. That's God's design. The law was not the schoolmaster giving them the means of salvation. The law was for discipline. The law was to expose their sin. The law was to guide them to Christ for salvation when Christ appeared. The law told God's people what to do, then it punished them for failing to do so. The law was all in preparation for the coming of Christ to enter into maturity. And like any ancient tutor, the law eventually worked its way out of a job, right? When the child came of age, they no longer needed the constant supervision. So Paul is telling the Galatians, look, you don't want to go back to the law. The law functioned like a tutor for Israel, not as a way of salvation to prepare you to turn to Christ for salvation. It was to bring you to Christ. The law cannot bring anyone into Christ's presence, but it can put you in a place where you might see your sin and long for a Savior. In other words, it was the function of the law to bring a person to Christ by showing them that by themselves they were utterly incapable of obeying the law. They can't see it. The sole purpose of the law was to be the divinely appointed tutor, so like a tutor, the law would lead people to Christ. Look at the end of verse 24, look at it, so that they might be what? Listen, the point of the law was to bring you to Christ so that you could be saved. It was to show you, you needed a Savior. Remember, remember, okay, don't forget, some of you are forgetting, Abraham was reckoned righteous by faith. Thank you, thank you, one person, everybody now. Abraham was reckoned righteous by? Oh, so good. Way better than first hour. Okay. Understand, he's going, look, you're going to go back and work for it? You're going to go back and try to earn it? Say, how foolish is that? It was supposed to bring you to the lowest point in your life where you'd see that you're desperately sinful so that you would cry out for mercy and grace and be saved by Jesus Christ, the only Savior. That was the point. Before Christ came, the external rituals and ceremonies pointed to Christ. The sacrificial system, the, the killing of lambs, pointed to an ultimate sacrifice that would have to be made for the sins of the world. But when perfect Christ came into a believer's heart, those previous imperfect pictures of Christ had no purpose at all and no significance. We don't need to go to the festivals. We don't need to go to the traditions. We don't need to do this because now we have Christ. And He, by His mercy and grace, has taken the punishment for us. So therefore, it's not something that we earn. It's something that what? God gives. 
And it was supposed to show you your desperate need. And long for, point number three in your outline, and that is salvation by faith provides you with freedom from the law. Freedom from the law. Interesting, turn to Christ by faith and you no longer need a tutor. Meaning the law. You don't need the law anymore. Verse 25. But now that faith has come, we no longer are under a what? So when a boy ceases to be a child and he reaches manhood, he no longer needs the constant supervision of a tutor. And then he's released from his tutor. He no longer is under them. He's allowed to go in his own way. And in the same way, the law is only needed until the coming of Christ. In fact, that's what Paul means in verse 25. Now that faith has come, now that Christ has come, the path of faith has come. We no longer under a tutor. Now let's be careful to make sure we understand that in the Old Testament, believers gained salvation the same way Abraham did. No one was ever saved in the universe. Old Testament, New Testament, Old Covenant, New Covenant, doesn't matter, except if they came by grace through faith in Christ. Amen? There is no other salvation. No one ever earned their salvation by the law. That was not the point of the Old Testament. Old Testament believers trusted in God to provide a Savior. The, uh, the, the true object of their faith was the coming of Christ. And when He came onto the scene where faith had come, the time of the tutor was complete. In true manner, the Old Testament law was meant to keep Israel safe until the coming of Christ. And what was meant for Israel on a national level, are you ready, was meant for you this morning on a personal level. You desperately need to become aware of your own sinfulness and cry out for mercy and grace. And the only way you'll ever be saved is not by being good, but by trusting in the good one. To trusting in the one who can make you good. The one who makes you right before God, and that's Jesus Christ. That's how God designed it. And understand, verse 25 teaches now the harsh, scowling tutor, whacking you with his cane, the law has retired, and now we're no longer under his exacting demands. Rather, we are under the gentle, kind, merciful, gracious instruction of a great teacher, a great Savior, a great God, the one who would take your punishment, take all of God's wrath on your behalf, and what we deserve for our sin, and then cover us with His perfect righteousness so we can stand rightly before God in the right clothes and be with Him forever. That's far different than the harsh tutor called the law. In fact, what does Jesus say in Matthew chapter 11? Take a look at it in your outline. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is what? easy and my burden is light Christ did all the work to save us telling you that faith in Christ brings freedom not freedom from obedience but freedom to obey to please the Lord now we're right with him we can walk with him we can find rest to be free from heavy burdens to enjoy his presence to know the intimate love and experience joy you're free again one more time did you forget and have you forgotten how enslaved you were to sin before you came to Christ? It is so important that you remember because otherwise you'll be tempted to try to earn your salvation just like the Galatians here. Shockingly, they're tempted to move away from the freedom of grace back under the harshness of law to earn their salvation 
And Paul's reminding them about the many amazing undeserved blessings that only come through salvation by grace through faith. Now, Paul's only going to highlight four of them, and they happen to make up your outline, and they follow the verses that are followed in the rest of this particular chapter. So stay with me now. First in your outline, four blessings, four measures of freedom that would convince you you should never go back to the slavery of the law. And he says, enjoy the freedom of being family, not an enemy. Your family. Verse 26. For you are all what? And ladies, you could say daughters of sons. Okay? Not just sons, daughters. Through faith in Christ Jesus. You're sons of God. God the Father is the creator of all men and is the father of all men as their creator. But God is only the spiritual father of those who by faith in Jesus Christ receive adoption. You got to get that adoption. Uh, John MacArthur puts it this way. Now, remember, all your unsaved relatives that are going to come be with you next weekend, this is them. Are you ready? Apart from the saving faith in Christ Jesus, quote, every human being is an enemy of God called the children of wrath. That's Uncle Fred. And like the self righteous Pharisees, each and every unbeliever is a child of the devil. No one belongs to the Father who does not belong to the Son. Jesus didn't mince words when he said in John 14, 6, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And no one comes to who? The Father, except through the Son, except through Christ. So verse 26 there in Galatians 3 says it, through faith in Christ Jesus. Only faith can make you a child of God. Not your works, only faith. Only placing your life trust in Christ's work can bring you into sonship with the Father. Only belief in Christ can make you family. You know what the Bible says in John chapter 1, verse 12. What's it say? As many as received Him, Christ, He gave the right to become what? Children of God, even to those who believe in His name. Now, I, you know, there's a bunch of ways to illustrate this. But when your dad owns the factory, you're really free to play around the factory. Are you not? Now, it's the outside kids that are going to get in trouble, but you're family. So you've got a little bit of a kind of this sweet relate. Well, that's us. When we are made the sons of God, we're free because we're family. We can be around His factory on this planet and what He's ever, ever he's doing because we're family. Is, are we ever going to get thrown out of the family if we're truly family? Yes or no? No, you're stuck. You have a loving father, and that's never going to change. Never. He adopted you. And that adoption cannot be undone. It can't be. In fact, we're so intimate. Take a look at Galatians chapter 4, verse 6 that we'll look at in a few weeks here. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying what? And everybody knows what Abba means in this room. It is basically an Aramic word for father that means daddy or papa. He's talking about your relationship with Jesus Christ, with God the Father, is so intimate, you call him daddy. Wait, 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 you're missing it. You should be smiling right now, because at your worst day, at your worst moment, you can smile, be quiet, and be in the presence of your father and know that he's in control and that he loves you. Anything bad happened to you lately? Gene and I got a new car. It's every 17 years we get a car. Every 17 years. We've had it for six weeks. And some truck 
smash the snot out of my car. I stepped out of the car after, and I looked, and the truck that had hit them was on its side. It was a serious accident, praise the Lord. And it doesn't matter. Because I'm, I'm a child of the king. It doesn't matter what happens to me. It's only a car. Now it's a used car. <laughs> Who cares? I'm a Christian. I'm, going, I'm inheriting billions. I'm set for eternity. Nothing in this life should affect. Do you understand what I'm saying? It doesn't matter, those things, because you're a child of the king. You know what's interesting about that? We'll learn some about that in a minute. The Holy Spirit brings you into this personal, intimate relationship. And Galatians were tempted to abandon this incredible level of intimacy for a distant, impersonal God that they're trying to earn his favor by doing good. It doesn't work that way. Secondly, in your outline, enjoy the freedom of being immersed in Christ and made to look like Christ. Verse 27, for all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Baptized, not talking about water baptism here, we know that because he associates it with clothing here. He's talking about dry baptism or spirit baptism. And he's saying, like you're covered in water and water baptism, you're covered with Christ in spirit baptism. You're covered the moment you become a Christian as if you're, you have new clothes on, right? And we've talked about this many times. You're now robed in his righteousness, right? You've got not the Gucci label, you've got the Jesus label. I mean, you are smartened. Because God's going, I like that outfit. Because that outfit's welcome at my wedding feast. Not these other outfits, but this outfit. An amazing thing, He placed you in Christ by the spiritual miracle of union with Him. You and I died with Jesus. We were buried with Jesus. We rose with Jesus. And we are in Christ in the fullest possible way. We are clothed with Christ. This is a mystery, but it places you in Christ so that basically all the punishment that was due to you now fell on Christ and is taken care of. In fact, it's so intimate. 1 Corinthians six seventeen. what's it say? The one who joins himself to the Lord is what? One spirit with him. So when the Father looks at you, the sinful believer, the saint who sins, what does he see? He sees his sinless son. You're in Christ. So he sees his sinless son, not you. Positionally before God, you have put on Christ his death, his resurrection, his righteousness, and now only faith in Christ, which creates this union that baptism symbolizes, never performing by the law. The law doesn't immerse you in a personal God. The law immerses you in impersonal rules. The law doesn't bring you close to Christ. The law shows you how far you are from Christ. The law doesn't make you look like Christ. The law makes you look religious. But what we are is scuba divers. Because we're now immersed in Christ. Surrounded by Christ. Soaked in Christ. Like clothes. Again, not Gucci. Not Dior. Not Armani. But Christ. And you know what? I know that you've been in a situation like this. They're vividly burned into my brain for some reason. Every time I went to an event when I was improperly dressed, do you remember that moment? Come on, you had to have been there. And you're like, if I could do anything right now to change my clothes. I mean, I, I just, because I don't belong here in this outfit. I don't fit, right? But now, Christian, you fit. 
And in God's eyes, you are welcome in His presence any time. And He will welcome you into His presence for all eternity. That's what He's done as you're being clothed in Christ. Clothed means your identity is Him. Listen, it's not about being a math geek. It's not about being an athlete. It's not to be about a homemaker or a salesman. It's about you're in Christ. Your identity is first in Christ. Right? Even above family. In fact, you're clothed with Christ means that your clothes protect you from cold and harm. Well, your relationship with Christ protects you. There's nothing you need to worry about. In fact, clothed with Christ is motivating us to live for Christ. He's the one that we want people to notice now. You know how, I'm, I'm, I'm sure no one in this room ever wears anything that want other people to notice. I'm sure that's, that, that just, 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 it boggles the mind that anybody would live that way. Then I've got this kind of outfit on, you know, that kind of thing. But now, you want people to notice who you're clothed in. You want them to see Christ, to ooze out of you. And that's the position you have, and you don't have to earn that. You've been given that. You've been given that. That's why you don't want to go back to the law. You don't want to try to earn your way. You were blessed with that. In fact, thirdly, you get to enjoy the freedom of oneness with all believers with no distinction. The freedom of oneness. In fact, in the church, there's no difference between members. We all are children of God. In fact, verse 28 says the distinction between Jew and Greek and slave and free, male and female, is wiped out. This is shocking. Now, you've got to understand, this verse has a little bit of background that you might not perceive. So let me give it to you. If you were a Jew and a man, every morning, what Paul repeated before he came a Christian, his entire pre-Christian life, he would pray this prayer. He would pray, Lord... Thank you that thou hast not made me a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. Wow. That's literally what they would pray. Conservative male Jews. And Paul takes that same prayer and just slams it and reverses it in such a way that basically all the old distinctions are gone. He uses those same categories and says, no, now there's no distinction. Look at verse 28. There's neither Jew nor Greek. No Gentile, okay? There's neither slave nor free, not a slave. There's neither male nor female, for you are all what? One in Christ. Oh my gosh. Verse 28 means all those who are one in Jesus are now one with each other. Did not Jesus pray that they, the church, that God's people would be one just as He and the Father are one? Did He not pray that? He did. That's an incredible kind of oneness that he's seeking, and this verse does not deny that there are distinctions racially, socially, sexually, uh, distinctions among Christians. There are, and there are actually specific things that we pursue in those distinctions, but it affirms that those distinctions do not result in any spiritual inequity before God. There's no inequity. The first century, many believe, especially the Jews here, that men, males in general, free men were better than others. The gospel destroys all of that. All of that distinction. That's the way it was. The gospel means that I am a Christian first before I'm anyone or anything else, including family. The gospel means all barriers that separate me socially, culturally, racially, class-wise, gender-wise, are all destroyed. Now, you would all agree with this. Differences between us 
can be dividing. Would you agree with that? They can be dividing. They can actually be threatening. They can cause fear. They can also be awkward. But when you are in Christ's family, everything changes. Everything changes. Keeping the law to be saved promoted competition and division. When you're trying to be good enough to be accepted by God, you're trying to be better than other people. And it created this competition. But the gospel destroys all competition because Christ accepted you. Christ affectionately pursues you. Salvation comes as a gift by God's grace. And it has nothing to do with what you've done, how you've lived, or your race, or your sex, or your class, or your family, or your country. Can I hear an amen to that? Now, all of a sudden, when you're looking you know, at the family of God, it's like we're in Christ. And nothing else matters. You come from Zimbabwe, who cares? You come from South Africa, who cares? You have an Asian descent, you're any kind of race at all, it doesn't matter. Because now you're in the family of the God of the universe. And that's all that matters. That's all that matters. Each one of you in Christ is now one in Christ. We're brothers and sisters forever. We function according to God's plan. We are equal before God. We do follow God's design for men and women. We do listen to those who are mature in Christ. We do submit to God-created authorities. But in Christ, we are what? One. The person who becomes one with Christ also becomes one with every other believer. And Paul's saying, you guys want to go back to dividing up and be like the Jews are superior? You want to act like that? Well, you're crazy. We're now one. All nations are one in Christ. And fourthly, enjoy the freedom of being given an inheritance through Christ in Abraham because of salvation by grace. Verse 29, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants and you are what? What's the next word? heirs according to the promise. You don't have to be a Jew, Galatians, in order to become a child of Abraham. You just need to be saved to come to Christ by grace through faith. Paul makes it clear you Gentiles don't have to become Jews. You don't have to return to the law as a means of salvation or add the law to grace. You should not be pressured to become Jews or Catholics or monks or whatever. Just be saved by faith through grace and by, by grace through faith. If you belong to Christ, verse 29 says, you are Abraham's descendant. You're a fellow heir of the promise of salvation, which comes to all who turn to Christ in faith. And with that comes all the inheritance that God promised. All of it. Stop listening to those who want to load the law on to the gospel of grace. Stop listening to those who are saying you got to be a Jew first before you can become a Christian and never give up the blessings you have of being in Christ. What's the point of this passage? Remember what you were you won't want to go back to that. Remember how he saved you, and you won't want to go back to the old way of the law. And remember these incredible blessings that he's done for you. What are they? Remember what you just looked. Not only no condemnation, your family. You're immersed and clothed in Christ. You're one with each other with no distinctions. And here, you're heirs according to the promise. Again, one more time. When you know, when you know, when I know that what's waiting me in my inheritance is billions of dollars, I live different. Right? If you go, look, if I'm trying to get the best I can out of this life, I'm going to be savage about this life. But when I know that nothing that I go through, the best ever in this life, doesn't even touch what it's going to be like in eternity, 
I live totally different. I'm kind of, woohoo, free, right? Doesn't matter if I got a lot or a little. Doesn't matter where I come from. Doesn't matter my background. Doesn't matter the color of my skin. It doesn't matter because in Christ, I have billions waiting for me. You say, Chris, you're making this up. No. How can you not say that if you are the co-heir of Jesus Christ? You inherit what He inherits, and He owns the universe. Anybody with me on this? This is big. This, you, you're, some of you are going, I hope mom and dad fill out the will the right way. Who cares? Who cares? It doesn't matter. None of that matters. What matters is you're in Christ. You're on the, I mean, you're on the top of the pile, friends. Skippy-doo. I mean, it's unbelievable what he's given us. The false teachers understood that God intended to establish one people in history that would last for all eternity, and they were wrong, though, about the entrance requirements. You don't have to become a Jew. You don't add the law to this. You don't want to go back to that. All of it takes, and all it takes, is for you to turn to Jesus Christ to recognize that he died on your behalf. He took the punishment you deserve. He can cover you with his righteousness. He can transform you internally. And then you become a part of the one family, the one family that God has ever had, his family. You're going to be one with David. You're going to be one with Abraham. You're going to be one with all those believers from the past, the present, and the future forever. So take this home, would you? Are you a member of the family? Are you a member of the family? Listen, do you understand your identity as a believer? Because that's what Paul's been pushing here. He's wanting to make sure you understand who you are in Christ. Are you in Christ? Perhaps you have never come to faith in Christ, that you don't understand that he saved you from your sins to make you a child of God, to make you family. You can't do this by law, by efforts, by your rules, by attending a church. You can only do this by trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Listen, the best you can do on your own is to be a servant. A servant. A servant, right? You can do the family's laundry. You can feed the family dog. You can clean the family house. But you're still, even after decades and decades and decades, you're still a servant. The only way you become family, are you ready, is you're adopted. You're adopted. And the crazy thing is that the father says, anyone who embraces the son, I will adopt. What's he say in Ephesians 1.5? He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ himself, according to the kind intention of his will. Those who are in Christ know that we belong to the Father. He's our Abba. We are intimate with him. We're sons and daughters of the King by faith, the family of the Most High God. And now all of us are brothers and sisters in Christ. We're all family who are in Christ. There's no distinction. You're truly, truly in his family. Are you in his family? Cry out for Christ today to give you saving faith. If you're outside the presence of his family, letter B, do you want to know the law? Do you want to know the law? You know, people need the law. They need to know that they are sinning against God. They need to know that they can't earn their way. They can't live good enough. They need to be brought to a point of brokenness and repentance and salvation or to turn from your sin and loving obedience and sanctification. But this is why we must teach people and show people when we talk to them about the law. Do you live a perfect life? Have you lived a perfect life? Have you compromised? Are you lusting, greeting, lying? Listen, people don't like to hear their sin. Can I hear an amen to that? They don't. But they need to hear it. 
Because the only way they can actually get saved is to be broken under their sin. So they need to know that they are a liar, they're indifferent, they're selfish, they're proud, they're hateful, they're angry, they're, they're, they're gluttonous, they're unjust. They need to hear that. They need to hear that they're not supposed to be women preachers or homosexuality or trying to change your gender. All of that sin. Whenever anyone suggests that there is such a thing as sin, they immediately become defensive. They complain that Christians are being judgmental, and sometimes we are. But the real issue is, when it comes to obvious sin, we sinners, we don't want to be judged by God. That's the real issue. So you need to hear God's law, understand that God's law, because you're under His judgment, drives you to cry out for mercy and grace. You need to see that you have not measured up. In order to be a Christian, you're broken under your sin. And you cry out for mercy and grace. Let her see. Are you embracing your position in Christ? The good father gives everything he is and everything he has to his children. And God is the greatest father, the best father. And there's no higher level that we can ever achieve to be a son or a daughter of the king. I mean, there's no other social standing that's higher than that. And best of all, God has promised each of His children a full share of His infinite, eternal inheritance. Now, if you're a kid, you'll understand this. The best in this life is like eating vegetables compared to heaven. Your best day in this life is like the worst thing you could ever eat Compared to the eternity. I mean, it's, it's nothing. This life is a blur when you get into Christ's presence. And over and over and over again, the Bible affirms how much better it's going to be in eternity. It's not just a, the, uh, any English hope. It's, an, it's a biblical hope, which means a certainty. And make sure you live in light of your position. And then lastly... Letter D, do you live out your oneness in Christ? There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. It doesn't matter what your background is, your race, your national heritage, your social standing, your gender. There's only two. Now we have to clarify. Gender goes all the way back to Genesis 1. He made male and female. Race goes all the way back to Genesis 11. Different social standings is basically when mankind filled the earth. It's been there since then. Those differences are a part of creation. And God has given us gender-specific implications. So I'm going to use male and female because that's the safest way to talk about this. We are one. And yet we have different roles, correct? We're one. Men are supposed to be servant leaders as husbands and they function as elders and deacons in the church and he's called women to submit to their leadership and, and members of the church while teaching and discipling and training women and fulfilling out their giftedness, etc. But it's a mistake. It's a mistake. And this could go for race. This could go for, for nationality, what country you come from. But male and female, it's a mistake. When you think that our service as men or our submission as women in terms of a status, a value, or our significance in Christ. I don't know about you, but I've learned this. Profound wisdom comes from godly women. Have you learned that yet? Especially at our church. Unbelievable. 
Many of you wives, do you believe it? Do you value them? Do you listen to them? Do you honor them? Or do you somehow look externally? Oh, that's a woman. Or that's someone of a different race. Or that's someone of a different nationality. Make sure that your heart of hearts, this is the battle, not the outside, not the politeness, but what goes on internally in you when you look at people, do you value them as Christians, as one in Christ? as people who have giftedness that you'll never have, that they, they can speak to things and, and enrich your own life and help you to become more like Christ because of the way God made them, male or female. We are blessed to have people who seek to function in the Spirit. But you need to know in your own heart, are those barriers gone? And if they're not, go after it. Go after it. Get the lens of Christ and look at people as his creation. And not by their distinctives, but by being one in Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this truth. Thank you for Paul and highlighting our incredible position in you. Father, if anyone's outside of your family, draw them. Draw them to yourself. Awaken them. Help them to see their desperate need to be forgiven and saved and cleansed. And only you could do that. So they would just depend on your work, rely on your work. And now that we are, let us live that way, not trying to earn our salvation, but live under the blessing of being your family, of being one in Christ, of being clothed with Christ, of being incredible inheritors of eternal riches. And we'll give you all the glory for what you do. We love you, we thank you, we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening today. Sermon audio from the last three years is available by podcast, and a larger archive from Chris Mueller and Faith Bible Church can be found at media.faith-bible.net. And if you would, please leave us a review on iTunes. It helps a lot. Thanks, and have a great day.